So today is the second of four sermons that cover basic Christian practices, like the, the basics of our faith. And I consider four practices that we all need to attend to as worship, discipleship, fellowship, and service. Like All these things go into making our Christian life uh, whole and meaningful and balanced. Now last week I talked about worship and the importance of worship and the importance to regularly return to worship to find the the treasure that is here. I think worship is important. I think it's unique. And in every way, like I hope that gathering for worship for you is a change of gears. It's it's a time to gather with others and, and, and turn your attention to God in a way that you can't really do it in any other time or place or way during the week. But I hope that worship pushes you into discipleship, which I'll spend time talking about today. When we turn to discipleship, we move from gathering and doing things together to actually kind of taking responsibility for ourselves and our own relationship with God. And hopefully we allow the, the things that we think about in worship to take root in our personal relationship with God. Jesus, it turns out, I think, had a lot of teaching about discipleship, actually. And he practiced discipleship himself. And this morning, instead of turning to Acts chapter 2, which is the basics of what the church does, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 2 and then Luke chapter 22. And what we'll see in Luke 2 is one of the first instances of Jesus practicing discipleship. And what we'll see in Luke chapter 22 is one of Jesus' last instances of him practicing discipleship. So first we look to a familiar passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52, as Jesus is in the temple with the leaders. Now every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival, the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended, they started to return The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Assuming he was with the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you with great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he said to them. Then he later went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now we turn to Luke chapter 22, 
verses 39 through 46, as Jesus is praying in Gethsemane. Jesus came out and went, and as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you might not come into the time of trial. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed. He prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. And in his anguish he prayed more earnestly and he sweat. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling onto the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you might not come into the time of trial. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I was preparing for this week, I, I skimmed through the Gospels. I was looking on my iPad at all of the gospel stories. I just kind of rolled through them, and I, and I looked for instances where it looked like something about discipleship was happening, and I came up with almost 50 instances. Now, I'm sure there's more, but I, I gave an hour and a half to this little project, and I found four things that are two categories, and then there's two categories each. So, the first two things I found are pretty obvious. Jesus did some things in the realm of discipleship, and Jesus said some things about discipleship. This is important because Jesus was like both fully human and, and, and fully God. So the fully human part of Jesus wants to engage in discipleship practices, and the fully divine part about Jesus has something to say that we need to learn from. But embodied within the teaching and the practicing were two distinct things that we need to attend to. First he gets away, and then he gets together. Jesus gets away to pray. He takes time alone to pray. And Jesus gets together with small groups for conversation for spiritual growth, to exercise his discipleship by learning with others. Now even though we read that he prayed alone as the last thing he did, we'll talk about him praying alone first. Jesus faces temptation in the desert because he goes out to be alone. Mark chapter 1 records that early in the morning, Jesus got up and he went by himself to pray. Before Jesus feeds the 5,000, he was trying to get alone to be alone, to pray. And the story about Jesus walking on water to the boat, it wasn't that he told the disciples, hey, go out there, I've got a trick to show you. He had stayed back by himself to take time to pray alone which is unremarkable when you're reading the story. But now when you realize it, it wasn't a big deal to his disciples that he took time to be by himself. 
There are countless other passing references, but of course he spends his last night alone before he's arrested and loses control of everything, if you want to look at it that way. He was praying by himself. For Jesus, individual prayer is a mark of discipleship. It's a practice of discipleship. Now, Jesus models this second practice as well, that he, he's with small groups to learn and to study and to teach. In Luke 2, he is lost, but he's in the temple. And this is a pattern that holds that Jesus is either going to be at, his feet, at the feet of the teachers or he's going to welcome people to come to his feet to teach, to be taught. He regularly engaged with small groups to instruct, to learn, to converse. He pulled his disciples out to teach them, to instruct them, and to occasionally rebuke them. At Mary and Martha's house, Jesus praises Mary for sitting at his feet. When the parents are sending their children up to Jesus, he says, let the children come to me, modeling the importance of coming to the feet of the teacher. And among his final interactions with his disciples, they're at the table, just them as a group, He's teaching, he's instructing, he's giving a sermon in the Gospel of John, and he institutes communion. There are more interactions than we can probably, well, I mean, technically we could count them. But there's more interactions than anyone could count of Jesus getting with disciples, getting with small groups for teaching and for learning, for questioning and answering. And these are just the ones that are recorded, right? There's countless that couldn't have been recorded. And so I think it's safe to surmise that if we want to be disciples in the way that Jesus modeled discipleship, we've got to engage in some small group conversation, study, and opportunities for spiritual growth. We've got to do that together, and we also have to spend time alone. But neither individual prayer nor small group gatherings alone will be enough. We need both. If you will, personal prayer and small groups are a part of a balanced spiritual diet. You need both. Now, the way that Jesus did this was actually quite simple. He would gather with disciples and he would pray intentionally. And these days, it's possible that thinking about discipleship might cause you to be a little bit overwhelmed. Because from the Christian bookstores who sell all kinds of resources about discipleship to mega churches with exhausted programs from intense studies that you could spend hours a day in, to apps that help you pray on your phone, discipleship can take many different forms. So we'll have a definition of discipleship. To me, discipleship is intentional actions and practices that provide spiritual and mental and emotional connections to God. 
Discipleship is any way in which we actively and intentionally cultivate a connection to God. And it's a definition that I think is intentionally open and all-embracing because there are countless ways to experience the abundance of God's love. And I think this is a feature of our modern life. It's a benefit for us to embrace it that there are many ways we can use tools around us to experience God's love. And these ways are actually quite different than opportunities that existed just 40, 50 years ago. When I look back to my childhood and you look back to yours, most of you, to think about discipleship was simple and mirrored what Jesus did quite a bit. Faithful people, my faithful elders, took time to pray. They were engaged in a Sunday school class and usually they read scripture each day. I suspect many of us can picture our elders, parents, grandparents, relatives, others sitting at a spot in a, at, a, at a kitchen table or in a corner chair or there was a distinct place where they got quiet to be with God. This was not unlike Jesus' practice of going and being by himself. Oh, Jesus didn't have the King James Version of the Bible. He didn't have a Bible. There were no personal scrolls back in that day. But he took time alone, probably prayed through the Psalms, which he likely would have had memorized. And he took time by himself. This looks a whole lot like what my grandparents did. And the small groups that they, they engaged in were those Sunday school classes that we all remember and, and think so much about. There were missionary circles that were also a modern reflection of the small groups in Acts. But, but nowadays things have changed. The world of my childhood, the 70s and the 80s, was awash with media. The TV was often on. The radio was on in the car. Cassettes gave us control over the music we listened to. And I don't remember a time when there wasn't a TV preacher on one channel most of the time. Christian music and Christian retail came about while I was a, a student. And all of those things provided access to information in ways that generations before probably just couldn't access it. Small group studies moved out of the Sunday school hour and into other hours of the week. And everyone had Bibles and tapes and gospel TV if they wanted it. It's, it was a time when the, the real Christians, the, the, the real spiritual ones, had something gospel on around them at all times, in all places. Oh, and 30 years ago, the gospel station wasn't that fuzzy one on the very edge of the dial that you could only get when the weather was right. 
Devotional books become abundant. Experiencing God creates a whole new niche market for in-depth studies. And parachurch organizations offer in-depth Bible studies for those who want them. From the 70s through the 90s, the, the discipleship options began to expand. And in the last 10 or so years, with the advent of these things, that are in our pockets or pocketbooks, it's expanded even more. Our devices, for those of us who use them, now provide access to mega church apps and you can read the Bible on your phone. There was for a while churches and cathedrals that banned the use of your phone in church. But now they recognize that a lot of people use their phone to read their Bible. YouTube, if you go to it, has more sermons on it right now, I suspect, than you could listen to in the rest of your life. And more of them will be added this afternoon as preachers like me put our sermons up there, right? And all of this, I think, is actually great because it means that no matter where we are, we can use modern tools to access opportunities for discipleship. We can use the modern conveniences to help us to engage with sermons or songs or podcasts and stories anywhere we are. The good news of God's love can be transmitted to everyone. And spiritual growth opportunities and practices increase because we can learn more, think more, understand more, and all we need is a smartphone and some headphones. So use the tools around you to cultivate a life of discipleship. But beware of the traps that are also common in our modern life. Because a Christian life is a balance. Worship, fellowship, discipleship, service. They complement one each other, one another. They complement each other. And researchers have found that with the access of the, the advent of all of these individual apps, people have become disconnected from small groups and from institutional churches like ours. The overuse of apps and the overuse and overdependence on Technology does inhibit balanced discipleship because you cannot just pray with your headphones on. You can't just always only read your own scriptures. You can't live on podcasts or Joel Osteen sermons alone. We need one another. We need each other to talk and to grow, to listen, and to agree and even disagree. And still be friends if we've disagreed. One avenue to help us connect to God is not the only avenue we can use. We need a variety or we'll miss something. And so, if you will, ultimately, we need a balanced discipleship diet. And if you'll allow me to use a very silly image that is not a part of a balanced diet, we need something like discipleship charms. 
Most of us can quickly recite, or at least those who are my age, can quickly recite pink hearts, orange stars, yellow moons, green clovers, blue diamonds, and purple horseshoes. And we remember when they added those purple horseshoes to the cereal Lucky Charms. Yes, that one that got recalled recently, and we threw some of ours away. But just like Christian discipleship, Lucky Charms has changed and evolved over time, and I don't even know what marshmallows my kids are eating when they eat those Lucky Charms, but I know they like to eat all of the cereal. And what essentially started as Jesus taking time alone to pray and grew into our elders using our daily bread and now has given way to daily devotional emails, Christian music programming 24-7, online Bible studies, virtual churches, preacher podcasts, megachurch apps, and countless other things that are neither good nor bad, are, are merely change, create opportunities for us to use these tools and to create a, a balanced serial of discipleship, if you will. Discipleship charms was once just small groups and marshmallows, personal prayer and corporate gathering. And we still need those two things, the sweet and the, and the, the flakes to balance it. But, but instead of just one color of marshmallows these days, we have a podcast color and we have a book color and we have a church online service color and we have YouTube video color marshmallows. And we have this mix of discipleship charms that's a balance of sweet and easy stuff and the less sweet stuff to keep it from giving us cavities. We balance the stable with the sweet and mix in some milk to keep things all together. And we stay aware that of the reality that different practices feed our souls differently. And all of these practices create this mixed bowl, this trail mix, if you will, of spiritual practices that are balanced because we can't live on one practice alone. We need the individual and the corporate. We need the apps and we need our friends. We need the church, and we need to reach out. We don't need to be one-note disciples. We need a variety of ways to engage with God. And these days we have a remarkable opportunity to access the knowledge and the spirit and the love and the presence of God in countless ways. And so we think back to Luke. We think back to Luke that as soon as that first birth narrative and presentation story in the temple is over, Jesus becomes a disciple by sitting at the feet of the teachers. We look to Luke and we see that at the end, as he's finishing his life, he's praying alone before he's taken away. And these days there's countless ways to engage and learn and pull ourselves aside. And we need to benefit from all ways, especially those that can help us have a balanced life of faith, a balanced life of discipleship that's, that's in harmony with worship and fellowship and service also. It's important to remember that being a faithful disciple is an essential part of what we're called to. 
And without taking time on our own to engage in a relationship with God, well, worship and fellowship and service don't have the same, the same strength. And so today, I encourage you to take your discipleship with Jesus seriously. Follow Jesus' example and engage in spiritual practices that help connect you to God. And make a balanced life of discipleship part of your balanced spiritual diet. It may seem basic, but it's those basics that can make all the difference in the world. And that's my prayer today. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving and holy God, we give you thanks for this day. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to see opportunities to engage in discipleship so that we might grow closer to you. Lord, help us to engage in balanced practices that help us be alone with you, but also bring us together with one another so that we might grow in you together. And Lord, may we take our discipleship seriously as we, as seriously as we take our worship and our fellowship and our service. Lord, help us to do this as only you can. This is our prayer and we ask it in your name. Amen.